Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a show all about saving the best and burning the rest. Totally. Did you notice my, like, um, what's the word? Like my, no, your I in- forgot what the word intonation. is. Intonation? Yeah, it was your at tenor? different spots. Yeah, your energy is different. We're, I, I tried to match your energy. It's, it's weird. It's weird. I'm, <laughs> I'm frightened. Hold me, Josh. Well, you know. Energies, auras, yoga stuff. I don't know. Crystals. Crystals. <laughs> uh, weird. All right. Anyway. You know, Do you remember like, I, I, fi- I always find it weird when somebody says, oh, like something about your energies. You mm. know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, get, I get the context of what you were saying, but I don't know if you've ever had somebody talk about your energies or auras before. Yes. Like not, not all the time, but yes, it has happened before. And it's, it is weird. Like I can definitely see how you could talk about it in the sense of like, oh, you've got a really a different energy. It's like a vibe. Like I understand vibes, but when it comes yeah. to an aura, I'm like, I don't know. What is that? What is, yeah. what is you know? I mean, I guess I'm happy that it makes sense to their worldview for them, helps them make sense of the world, but I'm just not there. Maybe I, I need to do a bit more research into it, but yeah, yeah. vibe, like a vibe check to look at yeah. that vibe check that's different though isn't it <laughs> i feel like that's like that's like a meme that went up and then went down like vibe check vibe check true true yeah. well anyway vibe check for today we have a great episode in store for you that's full right of vibes energies mm, sacrificial other... vibes <laughs> it is true. i don't know it's there's a sacrificial aura around this podcast today is there that is how an... that works i I don't know. It's it's probably really it probably is significant to somebody, and it's really bad. But I don't know. Probably. Anyway, today we are continuing our series that we've been doing on finding grace in the Old Testament. A little bit of a heavy series, but uh, very necessary. And so far, we've gotten a lot of really good feedback, which is good. I've enjoyed uh, it. I don't care yeah. about the feedback, man. I've been enjoying it. <laughs> it's a good. You know. Well, that's the thing. Like, regardless of if people listen to it or not, I've been enjoying making sense of this stuff for myself and yeah. having to turn it into a presentation to bring into like one hour discussion. It it actually helps me understand the topics more, and I'm sure it'll mm. come in handy somewhere down the road. Absolutely. Don't they say that you learn as you teach? that sort of thing so sometimes the best learning experiences when you teach it so we're learning too (laughs) (laughs) wholesome very wholesome Uh, so as jesse mentioned before uh this episode so last episode was about like the old testament genocides this one is about like kind of the sacrifice in the old testament it's like around Mm. those rituals animal sacrifice all that kind of stuff which again is super heavy for us to think about because we don't it's so foreign to us in our yep. culture, at least. We um, don't you do know, that. Even though it still happens in many parts around the world, and it's very normal in a lot of parts of the world. But for us, it's just so not normal. So it can be really yeah. hard to read uh, and make sense of. Um, but anyway, uh, so that's what we'll be getting into today. Just we got, we got some really good stuff lined up, some interesting thoughts to uh, go over that I'm excited about sharing. But uh, first... Mm. But first, we have to do the question of the week. 
<laughs> so today I have the question of the week because I thought enough is enough. When am I going to have my turn? Uh, so I put my foot down. Uh, I've said to Josh, I'm not happy with this and I want to do it. Uh, and Josh very graciously stepped out of the way and said, you know what, Jesse, you do this one. Um, so, all right, I'm going to stop that now. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of true. I don't know. I don't really care. But anyway, I, I had a question of the week while I was doing the dishes today. Um, and I thought, you know what? If Josh doesn't have a question of the week, I want to ask this one. So my question for us this week is, if you could spend 10 minutes with any biblical character, who would it be? From any era... I mean, we've got a we've got a book, man, that spans thousands of years of history. We have human beings, we have mystical beings. I mean, look, you mm. could just say Jesus or God or, or whatever. You know, I, I feel like that would be a bit of a cop out. If you want to, that's fine. Yeah. But if you could spend ten minutes with any biblical character, who would it be? I'll go okay. first. I'll go yeah. first. Uh, well, okay. I I oh, just yeah. want to say that yes. my default answer would be Jesus. But obvi- <laughs> like obviously, but for the Classic sake pasta. of this, to make it more interesting, I'm not yes. going to do that. Okay, great. Right. I mean, we can spend we can spend time with Jesus any day, any hour, any moment. He's always <laughs> there. Reach out to him. Pick up the phone. Telephone to Jesus. Telephone to Jesus every day. All right. Now, <laughs> um, just going through the songs that I sing at preschool. Um, <laughs> if I could spend ten minutes with any biblical character, and Okay, this might this might come out a little bit of left field, and it's not an actual like. Well, okay, you could you could, there's a few named characters, but um, an angel, right? So especially in the Old Testament, like we think of angels as these robed figures with wings, and you know, like a, they look kind of look like elves from Lord of the Rings. You know, that, that's that's kind yeah. of the vibe that they the vibe check that they that they they put off. <laughs> but in the Old Testament, man. We get some weird, weird, weird images of angels. Or you could probably just like put these under the category of spiritual beings, celestial beings. Mm. You have like some angels that are like, um, they, they're like four wings and they cover their face. Um, some of them have six wings and they some also of them cover their face. Yeah. Like <laughs> lot, just wings everywhere. Some of them look like, like lions. You know, like griffins. Some of them are just like wheels covered with eyes. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm thinking like Daniel and Ezekiel, especially. Like that's the main point of reference that I think. Yeah, it's like it's like I think the th- the biggest thing that you could compare it to is like um, if you were uh, like in a, a HP Lovecraft story and you like meet a Cthulhu, you know, Lovecraftian old God type character, except unlike Cthulhu or, you know, yogg Saron or any of these like horrible things that are just going to drive you mad. They're actually, they'll drive you mad maybe, but they're not like malevolent. They're not like demonic, but they're equally, I think, confusing and mystifying and probably... I mean, can you imagine being an Old Testament prophet? Imagine being Daniel or Ezekiel or even John the Revelator and and seeing these beings and trying to compute what they are, who they are, and how they fit into God's like creation. Like I just don't know how that's possible. But I wouldn't mind meeting one. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh when you read the description 
it begins to make a lot more sense why they would always say fear not when they when they first start talking to people. They're like, fear not. That's covered in eyes and fire and stuff. You're like, yeah. oh my gosh. Okay, I'll try. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So oh. that's mine. That's so that's mine. Ten minutes with an angel. I don't know. It could be the seraphim. It could be the cherubim. Maybe it's the wheel with the eyes guy who apparently is like a chariot wheel. I don't know. It's it's very I'm confusing. Not, I wouldn't be keen on the eyes guy. <laughs> so that wouldn't be my first choice but josh fear not <laughs> uh, sorry man that's, that's a little bit outside of my fear fear not borders i don't yeah, know yeah. <laughs> maybe the six wings yeah probably the ones yeah it's what, what it's when um it's when uh isaiah has the vision and the robe fills the temple oh, yeah. that's yep, one yep. with the six wings and they cover their feet in there mm. yeah probably those ones would be the ones i'd rather spend time with if we're talking to angels yeah, yeah. That'd be yep. interesting. Wow, that that did come out of left field. My answer feels really boring now. Well, yeah, maybe that was unfair of me because I know it's not like a named character, but at the same time, I mean, we think of the Bible as full of these just like ancient warriors and ancient kings and like, you know, a lot of amazing people. Yeah, but yeah, at the yeah. same time, there is so much crazy, wacky, weird stuff in there that we mm. just kind of pass over and go... Oh yep, that's just part of the Bible, and that's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. It's like, oh yeah, easy. Keep going. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, oh man, I think okay. I'd put probably. I think I'd definitely be someone in the New Testament. I think. Um, I'm pretty torn. There's a lot. I feel like there's a lot of interesting options, but just bouncing off that part, I'm I'm pretty. I'd be pretty interested to talk to John the Revelator. Like, so these dreams, man. Like. Did you have any more of them? Was that all in one sitting? You know, was it like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, but there'd be so much to talk about. Like in 10 minutes, I'd be like, how did you see people interpreting this? How did you interpret it? What did you think of it? You know, like, I don't know. There'd be a lot of interesting food for thought there, but it would be 10 minutes of me like furiously writing down every single word he said. Like, please, 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 please tell me everything. Uh, yeah. Man. You know how I reckon it would be an interesting um, counterpoint to John the Revelator would be Enoch. Enoch. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you know that <laughs> we, have, one. we have that, you know, non-canonical book of Enoch. I think there's two or three of them. I can't remember how many there are. Oh, but sure. I, I remember reading some of them uh, when I was going through college in the whole canon section of our church history classes mm. and seeing all these books that are not in our protestant canon and enoch was just the one that always stuck out to me of just like so crazy that it's kind of understandable while it's not in the canon but at the same time it's got some legit stuff that makes me think man it could be like a toss-up between daniel and enoch as to what's more crazy um yeah it's crazy yeah, I've actually, I've, I've never delved into it. I've delved into a bit of um, extra canonical stuff, just out of curiosity, but not, never, never Enoch. Um, Definitely well worth it. Maybe we should do an episode one day on like the non-canonical books and just some of the, the weirdness in there. That could be fun. Probably could, yeah. Probably, probably could do a couple episodes on it to be honest, because there's, yeah. there's quite a bit. There's quite a bit. Of, I mean, there's an endless amount of non-canonical Bible books. But maybe if we just had a list of like the ones that almost made it in, you know what I mean? Right. Because <laughs> like... there's a few like the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Judas, which are just totally like, yeah, we're not going to go there. They're definitely not in the list of even possibilities. They made a short list though, didn't they? 
Yeah, I think but, so. Yeah, I th- maybe we could do an episode on like all the short, all the ones that made the short list. Well, it could be interesting to do a an episode on the Protestant Bible versus the Catholic Bible because the Catholic Ooh. Bible has some extras in there that we don't have. The Apocrypha, right? Yes, That's, the Apocrypha. Yes. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that could be that could be an interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd have to do a lot of reading, but yeah, that could be a pretty <laughs> interesting episode. Let us know what you think, guys. Uh, we yeah. yeah, let us know. Um, okay. <laughs> Well, let's get back to our Bible, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> those segues. All right. Um, so, okay. We're going back to the Old Testament again. Um, and we're talking about rituals and animal sacrifice. Mostly on the animal sacrifice because that's the weirder part that a lot of people struggle with. Um, another fear not kind of thing. <laughs> Just read this. Um, and again, it's interesting I think we've I think we've started every episode off with this little sort of disclaimer that you know people didn't really find any of this weird until pretty recently in history. Um, animal sacrifices have been a very normal part, seemingly, of many cultures around the world um, for a long time. I was actually watching a video about um, that where they reckon the origin of it came from, and it's a lot of scholarly debate around it, which is pretty interesting. Like just general mm. animal sacrifice. Like some people think it's before even animals were domesticated. Oh Others wow! Think it no, it can't have happened. Then it has to have been once they were domesticated, because where else could they get meaning out of it or something? Which is mm. some pretty interesting stuff. Like even discoveries of like what they think might have been like great mammoth sacrifices, where they Whoa. found like twenty-seven woolly mammoth heads around a statue or something. I'm like, holy what moly, the heck, that's crazy. <laughs> um, so pretty, I don't know, big rabbit hole there, but that's really not much. That was me, like, just getting a bit distracted in my research for this episode. <laughs> uh, but either way, it's been around for a long time, and it's a part of lots of cultures. And something interesting when you read Leviticus, um, it's definitely something that it's like it. It doesn't really go into too much detail about how to do it because it seems clear that the people already knew about it. Mm. They already knew about animal sacrifice. It was more just around the guidelines of what to do it like what sacrifice and, you know, what a, a little bit around meaning. Um, so, yeah, pretty interesting. So, I mean, mm. we have to really step outside of our 2020 at the time of this recording, um, 2020 Western cultured selves who have nothing to do with this, you know, mm. to, to understand this a little bit. It requires a lot of imagination, a lot of um, picturing yourself living in that kind of society. I, I don't know. It's <laughs> pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, I think that is the main I guess, ask that we are asking of you throughout this entire series. And we've said it all the way from our first episode, and that's your 21st century moral compass. It really has a hard time. If you just apply that straight up without Mm. any work, uh, contextually, culturally, any of that, you are never going to be satisfied with any of these um, thoughts that we're going to throw out today. Or you're probably never going to be satisfied with any explanation of, Old Testament violence, the genocide, sacrifice, anything. Like, none of it is going to make sense ever. But if you can step outside of that 21st century um, set of sensibilities, um, I think there is something of value to be gained here. Hmm. Um, So I think probably, you know, a good good place to start, and you've um, introduced this quite nicely, Josh, um, is to understand what uh, sacrifice in the Old Testament in the biblical narrative, in the context of the ancient Israelite Jewish culture, um, what did it actually mean for them? 
as opposed to some of the layers of cultural understanding of um, assumptions that we might throw over it. So I suppose the easiest way to phrase it is what was sacrifice not to to the ancient Jewish people and what was sacrifice? What does it actually mean and what did it not mean? Um, yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting set of questions, but yeah. I know, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think probably, at least for me, and um, we, yeah, we can go anywhere we want with this. Um, basically, I think for me, what I have to come to is this idea that sacrifice was not a means for appeasing um, God or, you know, like trying to cover over or trying to um, make him not mad when he got mad. Um, mm. You know, I, I think that's something that we kind of, all assume perhaps yep. is that sacrifice was a primary vehicle for ancient people to curtail the vengeance of the gods or to turn the favor of the gods towards the the sacrificer um, yeah that that was like a common that seemed well from my research anyway that's more like a common strain of thought from other other gods and religions right um i think we talked about this in the first episode we mentioned that like a lot of the other cultures at the time of this you know of the old testament like leviticus exodus leviticus numbers um a lot of a lot of the other cultures at the time they didn't really they had like obviously their own religions and gods and origin stories and all that kind of thing but they didn't necessarily know what the gods wanted so they yeah. would do all of these things in order to try and appease the gods. Um, yeah. So that's why, like, this one is very different because it lays out exactly what's expected, where yeah. the others were like, ah, and they were a bit fickle. So you could think you're doing okay, and then all of a sudden someone in your tribe gets hit with some sickness, and you're like, ah, oh, the gods are angry. We didn't do mm. it right or something. It's, yeah, it's it's a different mindset in the in the Old Testament. Yeah, and not, and not just that as well. I think the idea of who the Jews were in uh, relation to who Yahweh was is was also very different, mm. um, and I think we kind of just take this for granted: the fact that every human being has value, and that um, we are made in a divine image, whether we believe or not. You know, I think we we all share in common this understanding that um, your human life is important, and my human life is important, not just as collective members of a greater whole, but as individuals, like. But we don't see that in any of Israel's neighbors. Like they're, they're, like Israel and many of their neighbors all originated out of this um, cradle of civilization, Mesopotamian um, sort of uh, area. And the stories that Israel's neighbors told about who they were in relation to who the gods were very different story they, they shared some similarities like both the um the genesis account and the enuma elish that was the babylonian amorite canaanite sort of um uh, creation story share some common uh, commonalities but you know when marduk creates human beings um he creates them to be slaves and servants of the gods he creates them to be um you know people that wait on him and the gods hand and hand and foot and so the the canaanites they would have believed that they were not made of the gods that they were made for the gods um 
to be the gods' slaves, to be the gods' servants, and that the king was uh, representative of the gods and therefore they were to serve the king, they were to serve their leaders, um, but that ultimately they didn't have individual significance, power, or value, whereas Israel's God actually says, you are my chosen people. I have crowned mm. you with glory and honor. You are special. You are you are of me. Um, you yeah, are created you're made in, in my, my image. Exactly. Um, and so the 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 fundamental posture of Israel's God is different to the fundamental posture of Israel's neighbors' gods. Whereas Israel's neighbors' gods are fickle and we don't know how they feel, we know how Israel's God feels about his people. Um, there, there is a fundamental posture of positivity and love and value that Yahweh um, emanates and 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 expresses to his people and indeed to the whole world. Whereas um, <laughs> Canaan and the their neighbors, their gods are kind of more like people, you know. They, 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 they are fickle. They change their minds. They have lustful, you know, they have, they fight, they scrap with each other. They're jealous. Um, and, and you, you can't rely on them. Whereas Yahweh is the opposite. You know, we didn't create Yahweh in our image. Yahweh created us in his image. He is the fundamental, um, the fundamental origin for human beings, uh, not the other way around. Mm, interesting yeah and I think that's the thing you see those other like pagan god. you're so right actually you see that that other like the other I don't know what do you say like the other deities the other like yeah. pictures of god that other cultures had you see them and they're so their flaws are so human you know what I mean like yeah. it's <laughs> I don't know it's it's that oh, like an immatureness that you don't mm. see in the in the like judeo-christian god which yeah i don't know like you don't realize how radically different our god is compared to the other gods they had at the time it's very contemporary and very extraordinary yeah um, yeah and a god and there, that you want to follow i guess yeah Not and there are many to. there are many scholars who will contend that um though we don't have the progression of morality in the Old Testament that we might expect in a 21st century context, that the stepping stones are actually there for Israel and its successors um, to become a people that are uh, much higher level uh, morally, intellectually, spiritually than their contemporaries. Um, Mm. I think in some ways we have kind of made God into this angry sort of um, Zeus-like, we've talked about this in the last two episodes. We've kind of made God into Zeus. We've made Yahweh into into that that Greek Hellenistic image. Yep. Um, <laughs> it, it's... It, and it's it's I don't know. It's us. It's not it's not God. You know, we have the Jewish and the Christian tradition, but I think over time we have kind of made God into that angry God. Not necessarily mm. um, uh, just you know, reading the scriptures and then taking our description from of God from from that and that alone. Hmm. Yeah. Where do you reckon it like it comes from? I guess like, you know, how we get like how we make God like that? I don't know. Where where do, where do you think we get it from, even in our twenty first century Christian culture, where do you think we get these 
different pictures of God from? Mm. I think it's hard to say. I think your theology definitely, uh, I think your theology definitely influences that. So, you know, we as Seventh-day Adventists, we are more of an Arminian sort of people. That's to say that we believe that God gives us free will to choose who we want, who, you know, who, who we want to follow. If you are perhaps a more Calvinist um, point of view, and this is not to, you know, take shots at any Calvinists, but you believe that God has predestined some to um, glory and some to eternal damnation, uh, and that God actually is going to pour out his blessings and his love and his mercy on those people that he's predestined, and he's going to pour out his wrath and his vengeance and his hatred on people who are predestined for, for hell. Um you know, it makes me think of that really famous sermon by uh, Jonathan Edwards, you know, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And um. it's it's that idea that we are so wretched and we are so sinful. I, I don't know. It, it almost feels like paganism creeping into Christianity of, um, you know, and I hear it all the time, even, even today, even in Arminian traditions of us talking about the total depravity of the person and how wicked is the human heart? You know, who knows it? You know, that Jeremiah, famous Jeremiah saying. Um, and I, I feel like we have this this way of treating sin like it's invading us and it's making us into this person beyond um, redemption, I suppose. Mm. And it has this really dehumanizing effect, which is, I suppose, what sin does. Sin, you know, dehumanizes us and it it makes us feel like a lesser person. It makes us feel like the people around us are lesser by extent. Hence why um, people perhaps in the ancient era and perhaps even today felt the need to sacrifice to the gods, to have their sins forgiven, to have their the wrath of the gods averted um, because I am fundamentally a bad person because the gods say I am, or perhaps my priest says that I am, or, or whatever. Yeah. And so I have to cover over it um, because otherwise my God is going to be angry with me. Mm. Um, yeah, that definitely plagues the modern Christian mindset heaps. Yeah. And even like people who are maybe like agnostic or... Or maybe they used to be Christian, they grew up Christian, now they're sort of not real, like they might sort of identify as a Christian. Maybe they go to church on Christmas once a year or something. You know what I mean? Or every yeah. other year. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people feel like they're too far gone from God. That right. nothing could pay the price of what they've done. Mm. Which mm. even even the Old Testament God, that idea is ridiculous. Like mm. there's, you know, the, the like God lays out exactly what sacrifices are needed. Mm. And you know, even talks about like, if you unintentionally sin, here's what you do. If you intentionally sin, as long as you ask for forgiveness, here's what we do. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. and um, you know, something we didn't bring up last week when we talked about like, well, no, the week before when we talked about like the legal legalist idea of the Bible um, is that anybody who, anybody who repented was forgiven. That's just mm. a fact in the Old Testament and the New. Anybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so every time you see somebody get struck down, it's because they didn't repent. That's, you know, and I, repent is such an old school you word. <laughs> yeah, I feel yeah, weird yeah. using it, but it's just, <laughs> it's the word in this context. Yeah. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's, it's, 
it's interesting that like yeah. we get so caught up in the idea of other gods when we probably don't know that much about other gods really mm. like not that mm. many people not many people spend a whole lot of time studying Marduk or whatever sure sure yeah but they've gotten the ideas of that still well it's- the reality is that a lot of western christianity today is uh heavily influenced by platonic hellenistic sort of greek greek philosophical thought which mm. was then in turn influenced by very ancient philosophical religious spiritual ideas which is just how the world works you know you pass on some knowledge and then the next person builds upon that and then somebody else takes that that's just how things work but in the context of the church and especially christian um theology i think i mean okay maybe this is going to be a very naive statement but i would think that our primary source should be Jewish theology and we would be very, very hesitant to, uh, to, to incorporate anything else outside of that tradition. You know, we, the, the way that most modern Christians think about hell and the afterlife is a lot more, has a lot more to do with Hades than Sheol, for instance, you know, mm. if you were to take an ancient or even a modern Jewish take on hell or heaven and the afterlife, um, it would, our interpretation would look very different here in the Christian world. Um, yeah, totally. Um, all right, we you made some notes, so we have some some notes, um, some notes about uh, Jordan Peterson's interpretation of sacrifice. I think it'd be cool if we jump there, and mm. then we'll go, then we'll have a little break after that. And then we'll come back. Yeah. Well, hey, look, I don't profess to have my head fully screwed on when it comes to this, which is so classic Jordan <laughs> <Yeah>. Peterson. <laughs> like, yeah. I'll listen to something from him and I'll be like, that's so good. And then somebody asks me to explain it and I'll be like, I cannot. <laughs> like, the words just do not come <laughs> out the way that um, I want them to. So maybe I'll link a um, an excerpt of him talking about this. But just to kind of... Um, get at where where this connected with me um jordan peterson he talks about and he he did a a whole series of biblical lectures on just genesis like i I don't know like dozens of hours of lectures just on genesis alone approaching it from a philosophical psychological point of view so he's not a died in the wall christian um so take this more as a uh symbolic interpretation but anyway he talks about sacrifice in terms of making a deal with the future um and he talks about the difference between seeing life as being primarily material um versus seeing life as primarily uh about ideas and concepts and um those sorts of things so for instance if an ancient person uh makes a sacrifice he asks. He poses the question, "What are they doing?" Um, he posits that most people act things out before they fully understand why they act them out. So, for instance, if you have a toddler and they're crawling around and they grab something and they put it in their mouth, um, they're acting out something that they don't quite understand. They mm. see something and they want to taste it and touch it, but they don't like physically know why they want to do it they just want to do it um and and we and we do this all the time in in all sorts of uh different ways people are drawn to religion and um ritual 
and half the time we do things without even understanding. Like I, as a child, um, I knelt to pray with my family even before I understood why we knelt to pray. And to be honest, I still don't really know why we kneel to pray, but <laughs> I still do it <laughs> because it was sort of ritual ritual form that, that I did that felt right and it felt, it felt appropriate with the action that we were doing to bow our heads, close our eyes, mm. sometimes fold our hands and pray uh, and kneel on the ground and pray. Um, so he talks about uh, sacrifice as making a deal with the future. And the basic idea is that um, if you're like a, a caveman living in I don't, caveman times or whatever. and yep. Very specific. Thank <laughs> you. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody knows where we're at. Um, and, and you're hunting like an elk. Uh, you bring the elk down and uh, you have a couple of choices. You, you, you eat the whole thing right there and then um, and you're full for a couple of hours, maybe a day, depending on how much you actually eat. Or you could um, eat some of the elk and then dry some of the other elk out or store it in the snow so that you are um, saving some for later. And so what you've basically done is you've made a deal with the future. You have sacrificed eating all the elk for the hope that in the future you will not be hungry because of what you have sacrificed in the present. Um, so then he likens that to offering a sacrifice to the gods or to God. Um, you would then offer a piece of that elk, maybe. You would eat some of it, you would save some of it, and then maybe you would offer some of it to, um, to the gods or whatever, and the idea is the same as storing the elk in the snow or drying it out or whatever it is that you do. You are taking some because you need it now. You are saving some for the future. And then you are offering some to whatever deity you uh, follow in the hopes that that deity will uh, bless you with more elk in the future. Mm. Um, the same principle is in place when you take some of your elk and you share it with the neighboring tribe because um, maybe if you do that um, they won't attack you in the night because they'll think hey I could trade or maybe they'll give you some fur or something like that so the idea of sacrifice you know he kind of abstracts it into a very very symbolic sort of practice yeah in and it's like you you wouldn't get that probably just from reading the bible alone no um, yeah I think there is an interesting point there, though, around... I think it's an, almost another misunderstanding that some people have of biblical sacrifice is that it's like... Well, again, it's just appeasing with God, but it's also like, I'm going to do this for you now, God, so you've got to make sure you do something for me later. It's yeah. really verging into prosperity gospel kind of territory. Mm, do you know what I mean? It's like... Planting I a give, seed. I give to you now, you give to me later. That's how sure. this works. You've made sacrifice a transactional model. Mm, mm -hmm. um, like, I think... I think like sacrifice, just human, like, I mean, not human, human sacrifice is not the world, is not the word <laughs> I'm looking for, uh, but like sacrifice just in our own lives, for example, that is making deals with the future, mm. but then biblical sacrifice, like the kind of sacrifice you see throughout Leviticus is not really making deals with, well, 
not really making deals with the future i don't know no so i see here's the thing i think that his interpretation is really interesting and i think it's cool on a psychological level because it definitely tells us something about the human spirit but i actually think i think he's missed the point as far as what biblical sacrifice is all about Mm. um as we will explore very soon but i think that if if nothing else if you totally disregard everything that we're about to say in this next section um i think that jordan peterson's interpretation is is very good in the way of explaining sacrifice in just about every other culture uh of the world yeah i would agree i would agree yeah that's really cool all right should we take a quick break let's do it And we're back. All right. Uh, so, firstly, something interesting, I guess, with the Bible is that often there are these rituals played out and they're not really explained why they're significant. They're just like, here's what you do, you know, and that's <laughs> kind of it. Uh, so, it's very rare that we actually get, particularly in the Old Testament, it's very rare that we get like these rituals and a full deep understanding of why this is significant and why it should have been followed and all that kind of thing. Um, the closest we get with sacrifice is literally one verse in Leviticus, around the middle of Leviticus, I think. Um, Leviticus seventeen eleven, And it's not even in the context necessarily of sacrifice. It's just in the context of like when God is forbidding his people to eat blood, because that was a very common practice back then. Again, not something we do very much, at least in our culture these days, <laughs> but it's still very widely done across the earth today. Okay, so Leviticus seventeen eleven. Uh, It says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Uh, And then that's why he says, None of you may eat blood. Um, So that's... So essentially, God is painting this picture that blood is like this, you know, it's, it's, it's life. But the cost of sin is to take away life. That's what sin does. It takes away life, both your physical life, but also like the abundance of your life gets taken away by sin. Um, We see it all the time. That's like our world has become harder to live in and our life has become less abundant because of sin. Uh, And so that's why sacrifice um, is, is there. That's the system that is in place to like perpetually pay for and show us the cost of our sin as a people, which mm. is pretty interesting. So that's like the explanation for it, which is cool that we get that. And it's like an off-the-cuff comment. And I'm like, thank goodness. <laughs> you know, it makes, a, <laughs> it makes a lot of things make sense, uh, which is yeah. cool. Um, so that's, that's really what this system is about. But um, throughout Leviticus, you sort of get a picture of there's different kinds of offerings. Um, like you sort of make different uh, s- sacrifices and they can mean different things or different kinds of offerings, basically. Um, and so this particular article I was reading um, had a really good summary of the five of them um, in a little bit more depth than what we're sharing. I just grabbed bits from that article where we will share a link to that in the show notes so you can go and check it out for yourself. Um but yeah, basically the, the five different kinds of offerings, which is really cool. Um, maybe, uh, Jesse, do you want to start off and then I'll... We'll, All right. We can alternate. Yeah. I don't know. Be a All bit right, of fun. Cool. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, um, yeah. So the first kind of offering that 
um, want to talk about today is the Ola. Um, hopefully that's how you pronounce it again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but um, O-L-A-H. Um, and it is literally an offering of assent. Uh, and the most common uh, sort of interpretation of this is the burnt offering. Um, the purpose of the Ola or the burnt offering was kind of like the general atonement of sin uh, and an expression of devotion to God. Um, if you guys want to check out sort of the instructions for the burnt offering, because there are many instructions and they're quite uh, in-depth, uh, you can find that in Leviticus 1, verse 3 to 17. Uh, Leviticus 1, 3 to 17. Uh, that's the Ola. Yeah, um, and again, this is the kind of offering where it's really different. Like the old, the the big contrast between the Old Testament burnt offering and the Canaanite burnt offering was that the Canaanites would offer children as burnt sacrifices for their own atonement. Yes. Whereas this yes. one is like a bull, sheep, goat, pigeons, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and God made it pretty clear uh, in Genesis 22. I have in my notes here, sorry, this is separate. Um, God made it clear that he would not accept children as burnt offerings. Thank goodness for that. Great. Yep. <laughs> We're <laughs> all good. on board for that one. <laughs> I believe um, this, uh, the Ola was, it could be a daily sacrifice, I believe, or or like a, on a when you wanted to. I'm not quite sure the uh, actual oh, yeah. frequency uh, of these sorts of, this sort of offering. Yeah, but I'm I think it's, not sure. it's basically if you wanted to get atonement for you or your household or your family, you would take the animal to the tabernacle or the temple and you would offer this kind of sacrifice and the, the, the priests would actually carry out the sacrifice on your behalf while you're present there in the, mm. uh, in the temple courtyard. Yeah. Okay, so the second type of offering. Remembering these are all different. This one, this one is very different because this one doesn't really involve the sacrifice of any sort of... Like, there's no blood in this one, really. Mm-hmm. Um, really, no, there's no blood at all. I don't have to say really. There's no blood in this one. This isn't. There's nothing that dies in this one, um, and that is the grain offering, um, or in the Old Testament, uh, I think the Hebrew word is min min mincha, but it's probably pronounced mincha or something. I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not very good at Hebrew. I think I've made that clear before. Um, <laughs> but the purpose of the grain offering was a voluntary expression of devotion to God recognizing his goodness and his providence. And the, inst the instructions are given, if, if you want to read any more, they're given in Leviticus too. But this is like, you generally, it was like cooked bread, um, you know, made into cereals and stuff, um, unsweetened, unleavened, all that kind of stuff. So um, That's cool. That's it's cool. like a f free will offering of grains. And again, I think the, uh, the the contrast is pretty pretty obvious. You know, like if you were an ancient Canaanite farmer, maybe you might offer some of your grain to the gods so that the gods will then bless your crops the next year or that year or whatever. Mm. Whereas the mincha is more like, you know, God has blessed me. And so I'm going to give this to him out of devotion or, or gratitude Um you know, with no sort of string, I don't know, maybe, maybe strings attached. Maybe that's an unconscious thing, but maybe that, that's something, you know, per, person to person sort of thing. Yeah. Um, totally. Uh, yeah. And I like, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's like, God is good. So I'm going to give this cause he's, he's provided. 
Um, and it, it could even be the, the the first fruits of your your stuff. It's like he's the first portion. It's kind of like a tithe almost mm. flowing yeah. into that. Yep. That's cool. That's cool. All right. The third offering is the Shalem or the peace offering, which, you know, if some of you Bible nerds, that name probably would have given it away. Um, this kind of offering, uh, first discussed in Leviticus 3, uh, it was a couple of different types, sort of subtypes under this offering. So it's like a subtype underneath a subtype. Um, so you have the Thanksgiving offerings, which you can see in Leviticus 7.12. Uh, free will offerings, which is in Leviticus 7.16, and wave offerings, 7.30. Um, <laughs> I'm waving at you. If you're watching the video, you can see me waving. The wave offering. A wave Sorry. offering. <laughs> it's an offering where you wave. It's just, just stand there and wave. <laughs> God's like, yes, that, that makes me chuffed. <laughs> just smile and wave, boys. Just smile and wave. <laughs> How devote were the penguins of Madagascar? Um <laughs> So what was the purpose? What was the purpose of the peace offering? Well, the purpose was to consecrate a meal between two or more parties between, before God to share the meal together in fellowship of peace and commitment to each other's future prosperity. Um, the portions unsuitable for eating were then given to God. And you can, again, read that in Leviticus 7, uh, Leviticus 3, sorry. No, 7, sorry. Leviticus 7, verse 19 to 27. All these numbers are just so confusing. But my uh, <laughs> my interpretation is uh, basically if you wanted to go into some sort of maybe business partnership or you were trying to mend a uh, an argument or a rift between two different parties, you would offer a peace offering. So you were kind of making peace before each other uh, and perhaps some other witnesses, but also before God. So that would be yeah, a I think pretty big deal. The high priest sort of officiated this one. Okay, cool. Um I think I think I might be wrong on that one. But anyway. Uh but yeah, this is really about people. And it's interesting that like the part unsuitable for eating would be given to God. You wouldn't think that, you know, like normally mm. <laughs> you'd yeah. think like God's not a picky eater, so I yeah. guess that's that's just <laughs> That's just how it goes. <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah, pretty interesting. Okay. The fourth offering was called the well, it's it's ch again. I don't. I think this is like kata, katath. Oh, sorry, katath. Sorry, or it could be chat. It's probably not chatath, but uh, I see it and I think chatath. If you're <laughs> if you're Jewish, you can correct our pronunciation. Yep. Otherwise, or if you're good with Hebrew, you know what? Where's Mitch Strawn when you need him? That's true. Maybe we Come should get him. His stuff. I'll just get Mitch to pronounce these things. And I'll just insert them in the edit. <laughs> That'd be a great edit. Yeah. All right. Um, so this is like literally the sin or sin offering. Uh, the primary purpose of this offering was not to atone for sins. See, that's the difference. But rather to purify oneself for re-entering the presence of God. So something really important to keep in mind when interpreting and thinking about this system of sacrifice was back then a big thing that you see throughout Leviticus and um, I think numbers as well is this like system of this clean unclean mm. and then there's holy right mm. so it's not really like I don't think it's really a sin to be unclean it's just like you know you wait a week and it's over or you give this special offering and it's it's done and, and it just sort of happens like if you come into contact with bodily fluids um, or you know, you, you touch a dead body, like somebody's got to move the body out of the camp if somebody dies. So, like, being unclean, it's just a general state. It just happens. It's not really a sin. Um, mm. But it's only when you're clean can you 
enter the holy place, if mm. that makes sense. Or, yeah, mm. you know, like you can be with oh, the holy presence of God. Again, this is about God wanting to dwell with his people. Mm. So this isn't necessarily atoning for the sins. This is just like cleansing so that it it's it's like having the right to vote sort of thing. You know, it's like mm. either you're registered so you can go and vote or you're unregistered and then you can't go and vote. Interesting. You know? Yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah, I stole it from somewhere. I can't yeah. remember where, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd love to take credit for it, but I can't. Um, so that's <laughs> you're that's so wise, really... Josh. <laughs> no, <laughs> just a read. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, that's that's what you got you got to think about with with, with this one. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's cool. that's about everything. Cool. cool. All right, and there is one last kind of uh, offering, and it's. Fairly self-explanatory. Um, that's the asham, which uh, is l- traditionally translated as the guilt offering, which should pretty much tip you off as to what this one was all about. Um, now, it's not necessarily like when we think of guilt, we tend to think of, oh, I've done something wrong and you know I feel so bad about it and I'm bad and blah, 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 blah. It's not necessarily about like your moral compass or your conscience or anything like that it's more to do with the idea of owing something or having a debt um so if you were to do something wrong um morally and you recognize that you've done something wrong and you are kind of maybe we would say penitent for that sin um or word choice yeah it's very it's very sort of middle middle ages sort of <laughs> mm. um, thing, but yeah, if you if you were sorry for that sin and you wanted to make it right, I suppose that's the main thing. If you wanted to clear your debt, um, you would uh, perform an asham, um, and you would go to the priest and you would uh, offer a guilt offering, and after uh, maybe you would you know do a shatath. First, maybe first, maybe you would do uh, I don't know a, a, a purifying offering. I'm not quite sure, um, but you would uh, eventually want to get to that place. It's not just it's not just like that first um, burnt offering, not the Ola. It's not just like a general thing. It's like I specifically want to get um, forgiveness or I want to get reconciliation around something very specific. So whereas an Ola is more like a, a general atonement for sin like i want to make sure that my family myself my servants whatever we are all clear with god um the asham is more like i actually need to get very specific uh forgiveness for this very specific thing yeah um one thing on the thing we're gonna on the article we're gonna link about this um, as such, this offering had a specific monetary value and one who Ooh. owed another an account of a debt due to sin could repay it in silver rather than by sacrificing a ram. So in addition, a 20% fee was assessed and given to the priest who mitigated the debt. Pretty, so like you can see, this mm. is for very specific actions, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Pretty interesting. Hmm. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um yeah, so so those are the the five different types of offerings that we see um, specifically in the the Old Testament narrative in Leviticus and um, in this sort of description of all the uh, the comings and goings of Israelites and the temple activities and all that sort of stuff. Any other thoughts or comments on that, Josh? Well, okay, some people are probably run- wondering why we shared all that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just interesting to know that it's almost like not all. 
like when you're when we're reading like if you if you're doing a bible in one year sort of plan or you're trying to read through leviticus it's really easy to read like those first five chapters and it all just feels so samey um and when you're thinking about the all the sacrifices in the old testament it's really easy for it to all feel really samey and it's all just doing the same thing but they actually had different meanings and different significance and different roles in um, not like not just their connection with God, but also like their connection as a, as a society, like how people mm. treated one another and how people acted toward. Like you saw, like some of them were actually altars to do with how you related and loved your neighbor, mm. um, and like how the priests would even play into helping people with that. So, mm. like, I think that's why we have to see this as as like not just a religious thing but like a societal thing in the old testament which i think makes it i think it adds another layer of depth and meaning to it to help us bring meaning and understanding to it today for us if that makes sense yeah it does make sense and i for me as well like i think when most people think of sacrifice they'll think of like a can or a a pile of stones um with an animal on top of it and some old guy with a ragged beard holding a rusty dagger and kind of performing this very barbaric sort of uh, tribalistic, uh, you know, sort of ceremony that kind of, it just so, it feels so out of place in Mm. uh, our modern context. And I guess that's for good reasons. But I think the thing for me, when I, at least when I read the, uh, the, what we've just talked about, uh, sacrifice was actually extremely sophisticated um, it wasn't just uh, ooga booga, God angry, we must kill animal. You know, like it's not, <laughs> you know, like yeah, that. Yeah. It's not that sort of dumb, um, barbaric sort of. Oh, look how look how backward people were. Look how you know they were so unintelligent or they were so unenlightened. You know, I think mm. we have this sort of pride thing in our twenty first century context of, you know, look how look how sophisticated we are and look how backward these ancient people were but actually as you were just talking about um the sacrificial system was extremely sophisticated it was extremely complex and it was it was well thought out as well it had a purpose in the society even if we don't agree with um the actual act of killing an animal um which i think most modern people would pretty much unanimously agree on the opposing that um you have to actually admit that it wasn't just a dumb barbaric backward uneducated system it was extremely sophisticated and it worked in their societal context yeah i mean like you gotta think like your neighbor did something it was horrible and then you see them go and then the priest is like well you have to atone for that like grab a big spotless ram or whatever yeah. and sacrifice it like so then you as your neighbor who's seen that they've done something wrong now that you actually tangibly see oh they've paid the cost for it okay that's all good you know what i mean mm. <laughs> yeah we don't yeah. really even have something like that i mean we have i guess people can go to prison but again yeah. like or we were talking about last week you, you know they didn't really have a prison system in the ancient world not certainly not in the jewish canaanite world yeah. um you know maybe they had if you were conquered and you became a slave. That's probably the closest that they had to, you know, having a prison system. But if you, um, you know, do something wrong, how are you going to atone for that? Uh, yeah. Would you would you prefer to have to sacrifice a ram or would you prefer to be sold into slavery to pay for <laughs> yeah. your wrong? Like what's more just, what's more humane? Yeah. And like even how the government today, like if I, 
if I speed down the highway or whatever, I'll get a fine for however many dollars. Um, you know what I mean? Whereas they didn't have a fining system. They had this sacrificial system because that's that's where your assets were, was in your livestock. So it's... Yeah. It's a huge difference. Okay, we, we should get into we should get into the, the grace parts now. <laughs> okay, where's, where's <laughs> now that we've grace? talked about? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we've talked. Yeah. I mean, we have sort of. I think, like, if you read between the lines of what we're talking about, you'd see a lot of interesting grace in there. Um, well, I think, uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm just. But to be a little bit more on the nose about it, I guess. Um, <laughs> but one thing we have to keep in mind when we look at this like all this sacrifice and stuff and rituals in the old testament the reality was that humans had sinned and we you know that whole, it starts from that whole adam and eve story where we're the ones who went against what god said for us um went from being naked and unashamed to ashamed and you know running from god and hiding from god so because of our actions. And then we see sin play out and constantly make the, the world worse. But God wanted to not give up on his people. He wanted a continual relationship. He wants to dwell with his people. It's that idea of he wants to come down from the mountain and actually live amongst his people. Mm. And so this whole um, sacrificial system is built fundamentally on grace. It's the grace of God. He's made a way... And like you know, the, even the fact that he allows sin to be transferred onto an animal, or like paid for by an animal, do you know what I mean? Like mm. that's grace because he doesn't mm. have to do that in a way. He could have said, "Well, you stuffed up, see us." You know what I mean? But he he doesn't. Mm. He wants to dwell with his people, and you see this played out really cool. Um, that Leviticus one one right, God calls out to Moses from the holy place, but Moses can't enter the whole like Moses can't enter it because like god is just so holy it's like the i think the bible project just just described god like like the sun it's like this big beautiful ball of energy but if you get too close you'll burn up and die Mm. and god's holiness is like that it is good and it is beautiful but if us as like unclean impure people go up to uh, go, go up to god's holiness like we just burn away it's like that same sort of power um, and then throughout Leviticus, this whole system is laid out so that people can draw close to God. And then Numbers 1.1, 1, 1, the very beginning of the next book, God calls out to Moses in the holy place. So it worked. Like all of a sudden now Moses is dwelling with God. Mm. That's the, this whole idea that God wants to dwell with his people. He wants to be with us despite our mistakes and he wants to make a way where there is no way. Uh, I'm going to get too preachy if I keep going. You've got any thoughts on this, Jesse? <laughs> oh, I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I might have the same problem that you do. Um, yeah, no, I think... Okay, so for me, at least when I cast my mind all the way back to the the first Genesis story, you know, I think of when Adam and Eve stuff up and they eat the fruit and then they have this dialogue with God and with the serpent and then God ultimately evicts them from the garden and they can never return... Um, as you mentioned before, the first thing that God does is he actually kills an animal so that they can have clothing uh, mm. to, to, to wear, to protect them from the elements. And then the next story that we have from, you know, Eve giving birth to, Adam, to, to Abel and Cain is uh, this sacrificial story where, you know, Abel has the right sacrifice and Cain does not. And Cain, in his jealousy, murders his brother. Um, I think at least... Uh, 
the other interweaving narrative throughout what you've just been talking about is the idea that sin has consequences and yep. that going against God's wisdom, um, it's not, it's not, you know, rebelling against God. There's that part of it. And God's not a tyrant who's going to bring his fists down on people for stuffing up. But I think what the other aspect of sacrifice is, is to remind the people that it, sin is real and it has consequences and those consequences are serious. Mm. Um, and I think we, I think we in our modern context, thinking we are so advanced and so, you know, sophisticated beyond this, these primitive ancient people, I think we have in a way minimized the effects of sin. We don't live in a society where you're going to see somebody hanging from a gibbet, you know, in the public square after they've been caught stealing bread, you know. Yeah. Apart from the coronavirus thing, people aren't dying left, right, and center because of dysentery or malaria or the Spanish flu. Like that just doesn't happen. And so the sin that most of us get caught up in is pretty clean by by comparison, at least on a physical level. Um, it's it's a lot more intellectual. It's a lot easier to hide. We're a lot more private, but at the same time, we're a lot more connected. Uh, it's more subtle, and a lot of the time, we don't really see the consequences for it um you know if i buy my shoes from the wrong place that's making people suffer you know a thousand two thousand three thousand kilometers away i don't see the consequences of the sweatshop or the slave labor or the sex Mm. trafficking somebody else is suffering because of my actions but a lot of the time i don't actually feel those actions if i have some sort of secret sin that I continually indulge in and I'm clever enough, I may never get caught, but that sin still takes its toll. And that sin, it, it's still serious and it's it still has consequences, but we minimize it. And I think what sacrifice reminds us, ha- can have the potential to remind us of, is the fact that at some point you will get found out and at some point sin will have its toll on you. And the people that you love, um, it's an eventuality. Um, much like Thanos, it is inevitable. And <laughs> sorry, I had to lighten it up a little bit. It was getting, yep. <laughs> it was getting pretty, pretty deep. Yes. Uh, yeah. um, and so, what I think, you know, when 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 I think back to that original um, story of Adam and Eve getting those animal skins, and I think of what it might must have been like to them having never experienced death before, they eat this fruit and they suddenly are confronted with the fact that something has to die. And this is a whole new concept for them. They've got, you know, God says, if you eat this fruit, you will die, but they don't really know what that means. Mm. And then they see something physically stop breathing. We don't know if God killed the animals in front of them or whatever. No idea, you know. yeah. But they know that something had to cease living in order for them to be clothed and they realize what they have done. That realization must have been absolutely crushing. Mm. And every time one of them or the descendants had to sacrifice a lamb or a goat or whatever, I think they would have been reminded of that. The fact that sin has consequences and that sacrifice is there to remind us not to get too comfortable, too cozy with our sin, 
Um, you you shared with me uh, last week a really great quote. I wanted to share. We couldn't figure out which where it actually came from. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how did? Could you just remind us how how does it kind of go? Because I can't. Yeah, really put I, into I, words. Can't, I can't remember where I was reading it. If I find it, we'll post it somewhere. But um, essentially, the idea is that when we squirm and when we get upset at like things dying because of sin, um, it's because, and the author of this quote shares that they think it's because we love sin too much still. We still, we, we don't hate sin enough. Whereas like we underestimate how much God loves us and how much God hates sin. And so like for him, that's the, the cost. That's the cost you pay for this heinous, hor- horrible, horrendous thing. Hmm. Um, but to us, we're like, oh, but what about the, you know, what about this? Or like, oh, come on, that's not, you know. But it's because we still have love, love for sin. Wait, which mm. I found a really interesting shift of thinking in my mind. I'm like, man, do I? And I think a lot of us, we do have love for sin. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't want to do it if you didn't enjoy it, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, hundred percent. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those things like well, we don't we don't hate it enough. Uh, which I don't know how you journey through that. I'm still wrestling with it, but it's an interesting idea. It's huge. I think ultimately, and this is where this is leading us because it cannot not lead us to this final conclusion, yep. but I think ultimately sacrifice has to point us toward the solution to mm-hmm. all of it because sacrifice in and of itself cannot be a solution. Otherwise, they would have sacrificed once and then they would have been done with it. They actually yep. had to continue doing it you know, day after day, month after month, year after year with the Day of Atonement. Um, but ultimately, there was no day of atonement that was enough to cover the sins of the entire nation uh, for the rest of eternity. That ultimately, there would have to come somebody or something to ultimately pay the price for the sin and the suffering and the death and 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 the failure of the entire human race. Um, yeah. And we're pastors, so... <laughs> You know, get ready. Here comes the sermon. (laughs) (laughs) Here comes the Easter message. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Well, that I mean, that's and that's another really cool thing, right? God never accepted and never wanted the people of Israel to to ever sacrifice their own children. I mean, sure, there's a story with um, Jephthah. uh, Pardon? Is it Jephthah? Jephthah. Where he wins the battle and then he sacrifices his daughter. Oh, I was thinking with... um, uh, My gosh. <laughs> What's wrong with me? On the mountain. With the oh, son. Oh, Abraham and Isaac. Abraham and Isaac. Why did I forget that? I don't know. <laughs> Edit that out, please. No. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like, but he never even makes him follow through with it, you know? So it's... Yes. Like there's a, like God never wants that of His people. He's, he doesn't accept child sacrifice, but then He sends His only His only child as a sacrifice. You know what I mean? It's very it's a huge shift that He paid something beyond what He even expected us to pay. Mm. And not only was Jesus the Son of God, He also was God. You know, yeah. It's not that God was just sending His kid. God was sending part of Himself. Yeah, which is. Try and figure that one out. I don't know, but that's what it says. So that's what we have to understand. But yeah, that's like God is paying a cost higher than what he ever expected us to pay. It's part of himself. It's his son. 
and that sacrifice is like for all this past blood and sacrifice and you know the smell of blood flowing out of the temple every single day must have just been horrible but all of that was just pointing and like if you use your imagination and think about it picture it like day after day after day after day after day picking your best goat with Mm. no spots or no blemishes on it all that stuff day after day Mm. the cost you know you think about how many animals would have died in this process i don't even want to i can't even i don't want to even try and find out the numbers all of that pointing towards this one you know the lamb of god lived a life without blemish who died in our place Mm. that once that once for all sacrifice yeah it's like greater than any other the Mm. greatest of all time the goat (laughs) the goat it's the goat oh my goodness okay (laughs) jesus jesus was the goat (laughs) oh my word how how (laughs) all right what a beautiful place to arrive at (laughs) yeah so uh, yeah i don't know that's i mean and that's that's the more that's i guess the more standard thing about when somebody else when somebody would ask about like what about the sacrifice that all points to jesus we're trying to lay it out as detailed as we can how it does point to Jesus and how there was grace then, there's grace now, and there always will be grace. And now we don't have to sacrifice animals all the time, which is awesome. Yeah. We don't live in that anymore. It's already been done. It's paid for. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's ultimately what sacrifice in the old Testament was um, purposed for was to point towards the ultimate sacrifice um, to the point where there would no longer need to be any animals or grains or anything else that would need to be sacrificed in order that the people might become uh, one with each other again and one with with the Father. Um, Jesus ultimately paid that sacrifice by his own blood. And uh, as a result, we are now in the amazing, amazing position of being able to rest on his accomplishment and his sacrifice alone. We don't have to go to the the altar anymore. We don't have to take our goat anymore. We can just rest on his sacrifice and we can trust that it was enough and that he has paid the price and that ultimately um, he, through his sacrifice, is going to accomplish what we never could on our own um, and that is the restoration of all of humanity, of heaven and earth coming back together for uh, God being able to once again dwell with his people. Yeah. Oh, so good. And now, oh, another layer of it. And now the only, the only thing, the only like sacrifice that we do have to make is really just like dying to ourselves. Yes. You know, dying to ourselves daily. It's like putting ourselves on the altar. Mm. That... You know what I mean? Like that's that's yeah. now we just die to ourselves and that's it. Like because the price has already been paid. Now we're just like living in a new state of being where we can just say, okay, I don't want to be that old me anymore. I want to put that away. I'm going to pin it to the cross. That's that price that's already been paid, and I'm going to live as a new creation. Mm. Oh, that's yeah. good. I just want to preach again, man. <laughs> start a new podcast of just like the aftermath of when we do these episodes, we can just preach. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. No, okay. that's really cool. That's really cool. Well, I think I think that's I think that's the end of well this episode and this series, man. Yeah, that was fun. 
<laughs> um, you guys, if there's anything else that you'd like us to chat about, um, we are open to doing maybe a, a question and a response uh, episode if you guys have any more questions on this. Apart from that, I feel like we've come to yeah the end of our journey. So I hope you've enjoyed um, our discussions. Let us know in uh, the Facebook group on email and everywhere else what you thought and um, if there's any other topics that uh, you'd like us to cover. We've already received a bit of mail from people who are sending us suggestions and um, thoughts on some things to tackle in the future. So we're excited to to, to check some of those out. So thank you for some of your responses. But um, Josh, if people want to get in touch with us or uh, anything else? Well, of course, the best place to go for all things Burn the Haystack is burnthehaystack.org. It's a beautiful place, looks beautiful, sounds beautiful, and you can get in contact. It's got links to all of our social and a way, a way to even email us directly. Cool. Uh, and if you aren't already, please subscribe to Burn the Haystack on whatever podcatching app that you are using. We are on everything under the sun, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google sometimes, Stitcher. Uh, Josh Podcasts. Josh Podcast, uh, the radio, uh, the sundial. Um, <laughs> open your letterbox. You might find us in your letterbox. Who knows? <laughs> and if you haven't already, please uh, uh, leave us a rating or a review on whatever podcatching app you have available to us. Uh, helps us get out there, more listeners, more impact, and uh, more awesome people to join this community. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, you guys are awesome. We love you. Stay awesome. That is Josh and Jesse. Out. <laughs>